The Spotcast is brought to you by Lehigh Human Resources. If you like what you're hearing on the Spotcast, a Lehigh career could be right for you, and we're hiring. Current opportunities include administrative support, research development, admissions, advising, fundraising, and more. Learn about all of our open staff positions and apply today at go.lehigh.edu slash jobs. That's go.lehigh.edu slash jobs. Careers at Lehigh, where passion meets possibility. Welcome to Season 2 of The Spotcast. I'm Hilary Kwiatek, your host and Lehigh University's Employee Communications Specialist. The Spotcast is Lehigh University Human Resources' podcast designed to celebrate and share the stories of our staff. This season, we're focusing in particular on staff stories of the coronavirus pandemic. We'll still be learning about our colleagues' careers and life journeys, but we wanted to hear from staff members whose work was significantly impacted by the events of the last year and find out how they were able to overcome obstacles to achieving their goals. We think you'll find these stories inspiring and motivating. We're excited to be back on campus at the digital audio studio in Building C on Mountaintop. So let's see who we spotted today. Our guest today is Mark Wilson, Executive Director of Zollner Arts Center. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you. Um, How long have you been at Lehigh? I've been here for about 11 months. So not quite a year. And if I'm doing the math, that means that you started during the pandemic. Is that right? Fun times. Yes. (laughs) Um, So we will get to that in a minute. Um, Hold that thought. But I wanted to ask you, um, first of all, what does an executive director of of a performing arts center, of an arts center, do? Yeah. So in this uh, iteration that we have is that I'm in charge of both the finances and the also the artistic planning for the center. Um, prior to me taking this job, the, the, the position was actually two jobs. One was an administrative director and also artistic director. So as the executive director, is, um, I have to have that full um, view of the center. Um, and then during this time frame, when I've been here this last year, it was really about giving the staff opportunity to get off the hamster wheel and think about what we do now and what we're going to be doing in the future. And so part of what I was doing was actually trying to lead the um, staff and the organization into a future way of looking at what we can do. Oh, well, we definitely have to talk about that as we roll along. Um, so where did you come to us from? I was at the Grunin Center and Ocean County College, Tom's River, New Jersey. I was there for about seven years. I was uh, originally hired as a uh, professor of music. Um, and when I was there, I became the um, chair of the academic programming for the department. And um, uh, one of the vice presidents at the school um, after working there for a little bit of time, she said, you're not a teacher. And I'm like, oh, no, I guess I'm fired. I'm out of here. She's like, no. She's like, you have an administrative brain. You don't act like a teacher. You think big picture. 
And so she's like, I want you to help out with this uh, theater. So I started helping out that and also teaching for a little bit of time. And then my load was so huge. I was actually like doing three jobs and um, they decided to push me into that job full time. And it, do it doesn't sound like it took much to push you, though. Did you did you see that in yourself, the, what she was saying? No. And that's actually what I try to explain to folks. You know, it's like the, what I found ever since then is that when I look at people who run performing arts centers, I never saw a person look looked like me. I never saw a black person. So, no, I didn't think it was something for me to do. But what I did learn is that when I was working in business prior to going back into teaching, I mean, my boss at the time always talked to me about when, you, when there's an opportunity, don't say no, because you never know when it's going to come back. So I've always learned just to say yes and figure out the rest later. And so, you know, when this vice president saw something in me, I said, well, heck, if I say no, then I never know there's another opportunity to come. So I just learned to say yes. And so I always try to tell people, if you can't see it in yourself and you say no, how can then they, you know, um, want to pull you along? So and I think that's the opportunity aspect. So I didn't want to feel like she had to pull me along. I said, you know, I'm going to figure it out. So the first thing I did was I reached out to some of my friends uh, across the country who ran centers. I asked them uh, questions about it. I just told her, I said, give me a couple of days to think about it. So then during that time, it gave me a chance to pause and, and ask people questions. And so I kind of knew what I needed to, to you know, do. But then I asked her the question, why me? Why now? What do you see? So then she explained to me why she, was, she looked at me. And so that gave me the confidence to know that she was going to be able to uh, support me moving forward in this position. That's such an interesting um, career twist, and that's one of the things this podcast is about, is about career journeys. Um, so you said you started there as a, as a music teacher. Um, what, is your, what is your background? Obviously, you didn't um, say, when I grow up, I want to be an executive director of a performing arts center. So how did it all start for you? Well, um, I got my undergrad degree in music education. Um, so I think of myself as an educator. Um, and I love music. Uh, even that was something that was short-lived. Um, after I um, graduated from uh, undergrad, my first job was as a middle school music teacher. I loved it. I, I lasted a whole semester. <laughs> no, but I did love it. But actually, after I was done for a semester, I went to grad school to uh, get my degree in opera. So um, it was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure I had a, I'm a practical person, pragmatic. So I said, you know, get the undergrad degree in education, get the grad degree in opera. So that's the way I looked at it. So you're a vocalist. You're an opera singer. I, yeah. I, I call myself a retired opera singer. So when you got your master's, did you then um, set about having a career in opera? Did you did you pursue that? I did. I, I sang all over. Um, I know I, I performed down in South America, Germany, a lot of regional companies across the United States. And... Um, you know, that, that, that same story I told you before about how my um, the vice president, you know, said this is a job for you. It's, it's a lesson I've been trying. I think I've been learning my whole life and I, I've been telling um, my students and, and people that, that I mentor um, to take advantage of those opportunities. And and what I can tell you is that even when I was singing, I, I learned that lesson, too. And, and here's a story I'm going to tell you. So when I was... Uh, 
I think it was a sophomore in college. I was doing um, this show, Flater Mouse, and I was fr uh, Frank, and it was a great little role. And during that, my, my teacher was telling me that the Des Moines Playhouse was doing this this musical called Big River, and because Des Moines is 97% or I was 97% white, they had a hard time casting the role of Jim, the runaway slave. So she was like, "This might be a great opportunity for you." And I looked at her and said, I don't play slaves. Uh, I'm like, I don't know. I, don't wanna, I was like, I don't do musicals. I'm doing opera. And so I was like, ah, I'm too good for this. But when I was in Flater Mouse, um, there's, this, uh, there's a speaking um, compromarial role. And the person that was doing his role, he and I had a great time together. He was on the board of trustees for the college. And at the one, end, end of one of the rehearsals, he put his arms around me. And he said, you know, besides being on the board of the college, I'm, I'm also on the board of the Des Moines Playhouse, and you know, they're casting for the role of Jim and Big River. I'm like, uh, like that's what I had you doing this. And so I said, fine, I'll go audition. So I did it. I loved it. Um, it was great doing this experience. And the story basically for me is this they added an extra week because it was so popular. And then they, we were asked to perform at this thing called uh, um, Inc. 500, which is 500 fastest growing companies in America. And they, they came to Des Moines and they asked all the arts organizations to do like a little teaser show for them. And so when they asked the Playhouse to do something, we did our medley and we ended with my big old aria. So after I was done, the, everyone in the audience started screaming and yelling and woo. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I'm walking off stage. And all of a sudden, this woman walks up to me and says, sir, sir, the maestro wants to talk to you. I'm like, maestro, who are you talking about? Says, the maestro wants to talk to you. I'm like, follow me. I'm like, okay. So I'm following this woman all through this um, civic center. And as I finally get, I open this, this big room, and there's a, the Des Moines symphonies there. And I'm walking up, and then the guy turns around. He has uh, full tails on. And he goes, hello, I'm Maestro Junta. Nice to meet you. I'm like, nice to meet you. He says, do people always holler and scream when you sing? I'm like, yes. <laughs> so he said, um, I would love for you to sing in our popcorn pops. Would you mind being our guest soloist singing some songs with our orchestra? I'm like, yeah. He's like, we don't have much to offer. We can offer you like $3,500. I'm like, as a college student, right. I'm taking it. <laughs> and so my, the boy I point is, is that if I would have stuck to my guns and not done that musical, I wouldn't have this opportunity. And then what I learned also is from there is like, don't be so snotty. Because like when I was in grad school, I ended up singing at this Christmas party. I didn't want to do it. But I was like, I remember that lesson from before with the musical. So I said, all right, I'll sing. I didn't want to, but I did. And because I sang at this musical, I got invited to um, go audition for this show. And I was like, how would you guys hear of me? They said, one of our producers heard you sing at a Christmas party. And then because I did that show, I ended up living in South America doing a musical because the director for that show became the director for a show in South America. Um, and so that's why I would say you never know. And so it's easier to say no. But take those paths and, and, and take the opportunities that are, that are given to you because you never know when they're going to come again. So um, so like my journey to come to, to, to Zoner Art Center is the same way. It's like, you know, as, as a door opens up, it can be easier to stay where you are, where you're comfortable, but you never know what the new path is going to lead for you. So you said something about going into business. So after 
music. Yeah. You kind of ran its course, maybe? You decided well, it wasn't going to be a permanent thing? Well, no. I mean, well, I mean... It's, my, I mean, my, it's an incredibly competitive, difficult, yeah. obviously, uh, profession. My, my life is very complicated. <laughs> um, and I know I scared you because I'm an introvert at heart. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't talk to people. <laughs> uh, my staff don't believe me still. They're like, going, you're not introverted. I'm like, yes, I'm an introvert. Um, but my story is very complicated. And um, when I was in grad school, I worked at this store called Venture. And I worked in sales, and I worked at the electronics and the, and the toy department. And for some reason, every time I worked in electronics, I would see someone stealing something, like stealing CDs, stealing a computer. So I would call up security and say, hey, someone's about to steal. Would you like me to give them customer service or leave? And they would say, thank you so much. You may leave. I'm like, okay. And I would walk out the department. They would see the person stealing. They would then arrest them. I was very good that these these the store had, like, really great stats. And so... The regional manager's like, wow, your numbers have been popping up. And they said, well, this, this guy I've been giving us a lot of tips. And so they reached out and said, you're very good at this. Would you want to come work for us? And I'm like, do I get paid more? They said, sure. And so I was so happy. I was going to get paid $6.35 an hour oh my God. to move to this role um, up from my five fifty that I was making at the time. Um, so then I ended up doing this in grad school. I was very good. I was very competitive. And when I um, got to this one store, um, they were like, this is the store is the roughest store ever, and we've had the most people, and they have the record. And I'm like, okay, I'll be there after a year. And they're like, you don't even, you've never done this before. I'm like, I know, but I'm just good. <laughs> so I was very competitive. So I think they had like 150, 160 sh shoplifters like within one year. So after my first year, we had 240, 250 shoplifters. Because um, I'm like, I just I can see people, and I always can just – pointed out and we were very good um and so when i end up coming to new york i need to find a job you know i'm like i'm going to sing but i need to find a job so i end up applying at macy's and um what ended up happening with them is when i started at the store um my very first day they're like hang out here go go walk around for a little bit and then we're going to have you come in because we just got to get you ready so as I'm walking around the store, I'm like, oh, I see, I see some people stealing. So I'm like, um, there's some women over here that are stealing. And they're like, okay, new guy, whatever. I'm like, okay. So they didn't, they didn't believe me. So I saw another person said, you know, those women over there, I see them. She's like, they're stealing. I'm like, yeah, they're stealing. She's like, did you tell anyone? I'm like, yeah, I told them like, you know, 30 minutes ago, and they're still stealing. She's like, she's like let me get on the cameras. So then next thing you know, everyone's like watching these, these two women I, I pointed out, and they end up stealing like $1,900 worth of clothes. And they're like, going, who initiated this case? And they're like, the new guy. <laughs> and uh, the security man, uh, security director is like, wow, good job. And I'm like, thanks. I was like, yeah, that's that's why you guys hired me. Um, and because of that reason, a lot of people, as a teacher, people started walking up to me that were working there, and they said, can you help me? What do you what do you look at? And I said, oh. And I started to um, share with them how I looked at things, and because I'm because uh, being um, black. I kept asking them, like, why are you watching that person? Is it because they're black? And they were like, oh. I'm like, well, this is what I would do. And so I started to, like, look at the world different than how they were. And then because of that, I got promoted, like, quickly throughout the store. So I became a um, – I was a detective, and I became a lead detective to train people. Then I became a, um assistant security manager, became a security manager, a security director, operations manager. So And they kept moving me from store to store to help change the culture 
And part of that culture change was um, for me to um, break the stereotypes a lot of these stores have just like look focusing on people of color. Mm -hmm. And so I would go in a store and change that and I would question folks like, what are you looking at? Um, and I think they, they like the fact that, that I approached it from not of way someone looked, but, but what they were doing in that, that process. So that's my, that's my business experience. And so then from when I was at Macy's, then I became a, a regional loss prevention director at the container store. Um, and I was there for a couple of years and, and then, you know, and I was looking at my, my life and going, I'm so far away from opera, everything else I was, I was doing and I ended up, um, quitting that job and then going into teaching and singing. And then I, I ended up teaching at this, uh, private school in Newark part-time. I, I was, uh, adjunct at Monmouth university. I was teaching private lessons at Ridgewood conservatory. I was teaching at Bergen community college and I was teaching at Westchester community college. And I was driving all, to all these different places like on one day. Um, but I was enjoying that experience compared to just, you know, going and actually interviewing people for theft or actually arresting people for theft. So you got back to your music, you got back to your roots in education, and uh, and you haven't looked back. No. No, no more loss prevention. No. <laughs> um, that's fascinating, though. I think that people's careers can take all kinds of twists and turns, you know. And um, But you had that moment where you looked around and said, you know, wait, what am I? I'm off track. You know, you recognized in a moment that you were off track and, and decided to head back in that path. Um, and so, again, so now you're here and you arrived. Um, you arrived at the beginning of the pandemic. Well, a few months into the pandemic. When did you start? July 31st. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So by then we had canceled our season. Um, the whole staff was kind of probably feeling a little lost with not their usual things to do and everything. What was it like coming in to that situation? Yeah, I understood that um, having new leadership can add anxiety on, on a normal um, circumstance. But then you put in the fact that you're in the middle of a pandemic, um, folks are furloughed. You, you have arts organizations going out of business because they didn't have um, the funding to survive. So, yes, it was a um, quite a challenge. Um, but for myself, I looked at it as an opportunity. You know, opportunity to get um, what I saw as an organization back on track and, and to bring um, this presenting um, program to a, to a, um, higher level. So that's where I saw, um, the opportunity to, to come here in the Lehigh Valley working with the folks here. And so how do you, how do you go about, um, getting to know your staff when you can't even be in the same room with people? How did, how did you, how'd you do that? Well, you know, um, what I, what I, what we, well, I was very fortunate to have um, Phil Clouser, who was the interim, really help out during the time, and he kept the team um, together and you know working through this um, transition. And I'm very uh, thankful for him to even stay on a little bit longer to, to um, help with me 
And the fact that I, I knew Deb, who was the artistic director prior to coming here, um, helped ease my anxiety um, also. And one of the things that I did was uh, I, I wanted the folks to understand that we were in this together. So I just told them a story. So, and part of it was for them to understand um, some trials and tribulations that I went through and how the arts itself helped me get through it and how we can do it also here. So that when you learn from past, it actually gives you a, um, a, um, a roadmap to move through other turbulent times. So I, I share with them a, a, a story. It was a story that um, my team, um, where I was at before, they learned the story right after, right when I was, I, I was leaving. And they said, we wish you would have told us this in the very beginning. It would have helped us be more connected. And they said, please do us a favor, share that story with your team um, when you get there and don't hold back. Because like I said, I am an introverted person and I, I, I like to listen to people and then I like to help that way. And I, I don't share a lot. Um, I grew up in Iowa. I was the first black person to graduate from my high school. And I, prior to coming to Iowa, I was actually an extroverted person. And I, I think um, as I reflect back, I think part of me becoming introverted is because being a, a person that was black in an all-white high school, I had to become introverted to in order to protect myself. And then the, so the story that I shared when we actually had a staff meeting, it was in August, um, late August, uh, was the, the moment of my first day at the school in Iowa. And so I, sh I shared with them that when I came to the school, it was, um, it was great. Uh, the first day I come there, I'm a little nervous. I'm hesitant. Um, I told my mother I didn't want to go. She said, you got to try, just at least try it. Um, before we were in this town, we lived in, we were in this um, town, Des Moines, um, which is a little more um, diverse. And then we moved to this, this, this town, which was not diverse. And so the people, the, the kids I knew in that town, Des Moines said, ah, oh, you're going out there in the country. You know, they don't like black folks out in the country. So I'm like more nervous. And they said, you know, if you get in any fights, it's always going to be your fault because you're the black guy. I was like even more nervous. So I had this high anxiety. So I'm an eighth grader. I'm in middle school uh, going to this, this town. And so I was like already nervous enough. So to, when I'm sitting there, they have all the kids together um, in the um, auditorium. This one um, young lady comes up and says, hi, my name is Lee, Lee Porter. My friends call me Lee P. And. So she was really nice and kind, and I that felt put me at ease. And then I had to I went to my um, homeroom, and when I was there, my teacher explained to me. My homeroom teacher said that I need to go to the office to get my schedule because I was a brand new student. So she said, "Go back to the office. It's the same place where you would enter in." So I went to the office, and as I'm looking, I'm trying to think, is this the place? So I see a kid sitting on, on a, this, these chairs. I'm looking at him. I'm looking at the office. I'm like, little, like I don't know if I'm supposed to knock or walk in. I didn't know. And then the kid looks at me, and he says, hey, N-word, come lick my boots. Wow. So I looked at the kid. I looked at the office, and I walked out the front door. I was so mad. I, I, so I... 
I can't remember if it was one hour, two hours, I don't know, but I was just, I just started walking and I was so mad. I was so frustrated. I was just besides myself. I wanted to get out of there. Um, and then I came back into the the front doors. This is before they locked the doors, you know. So that I came back in. Um, I went to my homeroom. My teacher said, hey, where were you? We we're looking for you. And, and then I'm, I'm picking up my book bag, my book. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, my mother's told me to try. I tried. I'm out. <laughs> I'm leaving. And she's trying to, you know, calm me down. And she's like, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know if I can trust you. This is probably how everyone is. I'm like, I'm out. Um, but then I said, fine. I was just like, a matter of fact, I was like, well, you know, I went to get my schedule, but there was a kid there. He said, hey, in work, come lick my boots. Um, that's unacceptable. I'm not going to take that. I'm out. Um, and I can see she got so mad. She turned so red. She grabbed my hand. She pulled me to the office. She goes in, slams the door, starts screaming at the principal and I think the vice principal. Um, and I'm ready to just try to, I'm like, I can just, there's the front door. I'm about to book out. She comes back, grabs me, takes me back to the, to the room and she starts to calm me down. She asked me, um, do you sing? I said, no, I don't sing. Was that true? The last time I told her, I said, the last time I sang was when I was in elementary school, and they told, and my voice changed. Um, it got deep, and they wouldn't let me sing anymore. So I said, no, I don't sing. And she's like, um, you, why don't you sing for me? I'm like, ugh. So she started playing some scales. I started singing. I said, I'm done. She's like, no, come sing again. So over the next hour, hour and a half, she kept having me sing stuff to calm me down. And so it was this... She used music to, to, to connect to me, and she was the middle school music teacher, and then she invited me to come sing with the choir. She says, you know, with a low voice, you can now sing in the choir. We do three-part singing. Um, and that story I try to explain to uh, folks is that that was actually um, how I got, you know, this focus into music and then also into the arts. Um, that this bad experience actually led a path to music. Um, and I would not take away that bad experience because I would not be here. And then I, and the thing I asked, I try to explain to folks too, I said, well, the, the, the reason why I add Lee into this, I said, because there was a person who welcomed me, there's a person who advocated for me. And because two out of the three things I remember from that first day were positive, that's probably the reason why I came back the next day. And if two out of three things were not positive, I probably would not have came back. Um, but my teacher advocated for me, and then that's why I've always said that the arts can be an important tool to advocate for those who do not have the power. Um, so that's what I try to explain to my staff, that story. And I said that's why, for me, arts engagement is so important in these turbulent times. I said right now we are basically in a moment where we're, we feel lost, there's a high anxiety. But just like I felt lost walking alone, I felt no one was there for me. There was someone, I didn't know it, who advocated for me, helped me get through it. And I said, that helped me in the future always learn that you can continue to... Um, make it through. So that's that that's the that's what I want my staff to to understand about this time too, in the middle of the pandemic. So what were some of the things that Zollner did um since you couldn't have in person events? What were some of the ways that you 
reached out and uh, shared the arts under these circumstances. Yeah, we moved to doing things um, with our Spotlight series. And that, that was where we actually were able to get faculty, staff, and students across Lehigh University to come share their talents. Um, it, was, it was great. And I think it's something that we are, are going to look to continue. We were also able to do a pivot where we work with some local schools, bringing in artists to do things um, virtually with some of the students there. We were able to also have a virtual season. Um, I did talk to a lot of these agents. These were some sh shows that were booked. And part of it was, do we do these things at all? Do we do them virtually? And I just explained to some of the artists that it's probably easier for me not to um, book the shows to save money. Um, but I didn't want to dilute or, or, or destroy the pipeline that, that these artists need and agents need. So I said the, the right thing to do is to do something to help support. But financially, it's not going to help me. Right. But I think in the long term, it's going to help us. So we did that. We also looked internally at how we can connect um, with more of the, of, the, of the campus. So we worked with OMA. We worked with Africana Studies. We worked with uh, uh, Student Success. We worked with the Indigenous Studies. We worked with Student Life to actually do lots of programming together, a lot of virtual programming together, programming that we can do also on campus for students. Um, and that was part of, like, what can we do to really start to infuse the arts across both Lehigh University campus and also the greater Lehigh Valley? And by doing some things like this virtually helped us. Bringing artists, like we brought an artist from Columbia, bringing him and his team virtually, having a conversation. Um, we even you know, connected with the UN on that conversation with Sankofa Danzafro. Um, that really helped us really to continue to have that, that dialogue with folks. We also um, were part of a, a team of uh, presenters across the United States, and I mean, actually across the world with NYU Abu Dhabi, and we commissioned a piece um, on the, for the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. So there are a lot of things that we started to do to continue to have um, reach out into the community. And you created some new models that way and some new relationships that maybe if we had just been having a regular season where you just went through your schedule might not have happened in a way, right? It created these new opportunities sort of out of the crisis. You, you found new, new connections in the, on campus, which I think is great. And I guess, you know, that leads me to ask, like, you know, how does this change how, what Zollner will be um, in the future? Earlier you said, you know, you, you wanted to um, instill in your staff the idea of, you know, kind of changing sort of what your community impact is, your outreach, your engagement with the community. How do you see the future of Zollner now as we're starting to contemplate in-person events and, and um, not going back to normal, but, you know, sort of returning to some of our normal operations? Yeah, I think if you think about um, the reach of Zollner, and I asked this question when I got here, what is Zollner? And a lot of folks said, oh, I never thought about that before. We're a building, right? I'm like, that's a question I'm asking. Um, what is it that we do? Who are we? Why do we do what we do? That's the questions I kept asking folks when I got here. And I think a lot of times people thought of Zoner as a building. 
And so I said, I want you to reimagine Zoner as actually the things that we do and the people we do it for or with. So part of the future of Zoner is to go out and do programming into the campus. The future of Zoner is to go out and work with the underserved, marginalized communities here on the South Side, across the Lehigh Valley. The future of Zoner is to work with nonprofits to bring arts to other people. That's what we can do. Um, we are, are we are a presenting place. We will continue to present. That's what we do. But there's a lot more engagement work that we can also do. And as I was talking to my um, my staff, I said, you know, we we do um, the art experience, experiencing the arts, looking at it, sitting as an audience. We do that well. The next thing I said, you know, we started to do the uh, Music Mentors Masters program. I said the next part we want we can start to expand on it is the arts uh, creation. You know, bringing all of the audiences together, whether it's economic challenges, geographical isolation, um, any kind of disability, let everyone know that they can create art. And then it's like arts learning. We are the backbone organization for any given child program with for the Bethlehem area schools. So arts learning, engaging the arts, bringing the arts um, as a way to enhance the content for students in the classroom. So those are the three things that I think as you, as you think about Zoner moving forward that we will do. And that was, that's what would make us a unique presenting place here in the Lehigh Valley and make us more of an of a arts presenter on a university campus. Because that's part, one of the questions that I have had in my mind um, was, you know, why is it important for a university to have a performing arts center? Is it important for a university to have a performing arts center? Um, and... You know, I think about our theater program, which is a great program, and the way that they use the facility and, and all of that. But um, the things you're talking about make it bring it even more to life, you know, that that you would move outside your building to engage with the Lehigh community, you know, and then, of course, the greater community. Um, what do you think about the role of a, univer- of a performing arts center in a university? Yeah, I think that that these um, programs that university presenters can do can really help engage and connect both the campus and the community together. That's what's unique. And the arts is a place to play, have fun. So if you have tough issues, use the arts to help solve those things. I think if you look at uh, students, they come here from all over to get an education. But part of that education, I think, is also to engage them into the community that they're in. I, you know, when I think about um, high school, those kids who, when they were in ninth through 12th grade, they went to school, but they also played on some rec teams or played in an orchestra with some something in the community. They did stuff in the community. So why should that stop when they come? to a college campus. We should be a vehicle to get those students into the community because when they leave here in four years, shouldn't we prepare them for the world? Yes, they are in a bubble here on a college campus, but can we also help um, them um, by, by connecting them with the community? They, they finally have um, um, autonomy to make their own decisions when they're on a college campus for the first time. So let's actually groom them, help educate them, 
show them how they can actually be active in the community and actually make the community a better place. And I think that's what a presenter um, organization can do, is that it's a vehicle because we work with the community and we can then help bridge that, that, get, that, that, um, that divide, that town-gown divide. A lot of times folks in the community don't believe that the students um, care so much because they're just here to get their education and leave. Um, but that's not always true. There's students who really want to engage. They want to learn. They, they want to do things to make a difference. They want to have an impact in, in the world. So let's let's do that for them, and then show them a way to really connect with the, with a um, with the with the community within the, that's on a college campus. So are you excited about the future? Then you you optimistic? What do you think? Oh yeah, I'm always am. <laughs> I, I'm I see. I, I think of myself as um, I'm a pragmatist and a realist. So um, there's always going to be challenges, um, but you just gotta. When you see something in the way, and there is a brick wall in the way, there's lots of ways to um, figure out how, how to how to get by that that brick wall. You can actually dig under it, climb over it, start taking out a brick, walk around it, go back and get a tank and <laughs> run <laughs> over. But you can figure out. There's a lot of things you can do. So I, I'm not I'm not I'm so naive to know that it's not going to be um cha- I mean ch- challenges. I mean. Um, I guess I'm positive enough right now that people might say, wait a minute, didn't you have a big challenge this, this past year? I'm like, yeah, but I guess the mindset for me was like, I understood that. So therefore it was not something that, that caused so much high anxiety because I knew what I was getting myself into. And so that was the same thing I try to explain to my staff is like, yes, we have high anxiety, but what can we learn? What can we take from this? You have a great opportunity to get off the hamster wheel for a second and actually think about what we want to do. So and so for, for that, that, as, that aspect of actually stopping for a second, it's like, and then how do we actually continue that yearly? And that's the part that we want to do is like, how do we continue to actually evolve and think about what we want to do and, and not always constantly be on this hamster wheel? Right, because the hamster wheel is starting back up again yeah. <laughs> in terms of the program and the, the season and everything like that. But you want to try to keep that, that mindset that you developed during this past year. Yes. So I always ask this question and you can answer it or not answer it or whatever. I just, what do you like to do in your free time? What is, what does Mark do when he's not at work that he enjoys that, you know, he might want to share? I um, go hiking and I go running. So that's, Probably one of the reasons why I looked at the Lehigh Valley because there's a lot of opportunities to go hiking. So um, usually we would go to Maine every year to go hiking. And the fact that we're able to go to so many different places here, I don't have to wait all the time. You can just hop on the Appalachian Trail right here and go to Maine, just hike to Maine. Yeah. There you go. Your summer is, your summer plans are sorted. <laughs> Mark Wilson, Executive Director of Zollner Arts Center, thank you so much for joining us on the Spotcast. Thank you. The Spotcast is a production of Lehigh University Human Resources. The podcast is recorded in Lehigh's audio recording studio in Mountaintop Building C. Special thanks to Jarrett Brown of Library and Technology Services for technical assistance. I'm Hilary Kwiatek. Join us next time to see who we spot. <laughs>